Hello, and welcome to the Early American Brass Band Podcast. I'm Chris Triano, joined by Stephen Canistracy. Hello. <laughs> oh, you went low this time. Yeah, change it up. <laughs> and welcome to episode number four. On this episode, we will be discussing early American brass bands with famed band leader Dr. Kirby Jolly. Kirby Jolly was the, uh, was the leader of the Old Bethpage Village Brass Band on Long Island, and is perhaps most well-known for their involvement in the Ken Burns documentary, The Civil War. Uh, the Old Bethpage Brass Band, under Kirby Jolly's direction, was featured on that album uh, on a number of the tracks. Uh, and Kirby Jolly was also uh, coordinated with the Goldman Band in New York. So a very uh, knowledgeable uh, person, and we were incredibly blessed to have Dr. Kirby Jolly agree to speak with us earlier last week. Before we move on to the interview with Dr. Kirby Jolly, I'd like to quickly go over to our next segment of the show that we've cleverly titled Corrections. Just to touch base back on last episode, episode number three featuring Dr. Mark Jenkins, um, there was some talk about the instrumentation of brass bands in the 19th century. It was mentioned that in the 1800s brass bands would sometimes utilize double b-flat bass tubas as their bottom voice and even below that the double e-flat bass and we just wanted to note the correction that the bottom of brass bands in the 19th century typically were just the regular e-flat bass as their lowest voice the b-flat bass was actually a tenor voiced instrument uh, much like a common euphonium or baritone of today. It's just a wider board tenor voiced instrument. So that's the B flat bass and then the E flat bass below that, which is like an E flat tuba today. Thank you for allowing us to make that correction. And now we can move on to the highlight of the episode. So we hope you enjoy this interview with Dr. Kirby Jolly of the Old Beth Page Brass Band. Roll that tape. <laughs> So welcome, Dr. Jolly. Thank you so much for coming on to the Early American Brass Band podcast with Stephen Canastrisi and myself. Before we get deeper into your research and your time with the Old Bethpage Brass Band, would you mind telling us a little bit about your early days, maybe um, when you started playing your instrument or you know what got you into playing in bands in the early stages? Well, I started playing in elementary school in the sixth grade. And uh, we purchased an instrument that came with 44 lessons. And uh, that was my start. The school had a band. Uh, I remember joining the big circle and uh, it was straight on. I was sort of uh, naturally, uh, I was a natural. Mm -hmm. It came right easy for me. Now, is and, that on trumpet? Uh, was that on trumpet or cornet? Uh, trumpet or cornet. Hmm. <laughs> trumpet. Yeah. I wasn't into cornet playing at the time. Oh, okay. And were you the first and, one? Uh, were you the first one in your family to to play an instrument? No, I was the first one in my family, and uh, it came very quickly to me. And I remember playing in little bands, and and uh, that was in Cleveland, Ohio at the elementary school and I started junior high and uh, we soon uh, moved to 
Long Island, New York, mm-hmm. where I was sorry to see that they had no uh, instrumental music program. Mm-hmm. And when I graduated from the eighth grade at the PS 136, uh, we formed a little brass, a little brand, a uh, five piece band, which included an accordion. <laughs> uh, wow. <laughs> when, when did you form that group? That was when you were still in school. Well, it was uh, when I graduated from the eighth grade. Oh, okay. Before high school, that would have been probably around January 1944. And then, and then you went on, right, uh, after high school. Did you continue in college in music? Were you a music major? I played an awful lot as a teenager in young bands and... Uh, I went to uh, college, Syracuse University, on a full scholarship, and uh, I played in all of the uh, university ensembles. And at Syracuse, I also played uh, a lot of club dates and various theaters and and the, the Syracuse Symphony. So the town of Syracuse did more for me than university did. Gotcha. I didn't know that there was that large of a music scene in Syracuse. Yeah, well, I had a lot of private students and uh, a lot of club dates and uh, and with the symphony uh, and uh, vaudeville uh, shows were coming uh, to the theaters like one a, one a month uh, and I played them all as oh, wow. a uh, student. Uh-huh. And then was it that was as a, a trumpet major, like performance, or were you music education? Music education. And uh, I did get a Bachelor of Education degree at uh, Syracuse University. And I went on for a little bit longer to uh, get an, another uh, master's degree in education. That was at Syracuse also? Yes, at Syracuse. Wow, very cool. And then was it out of your studies in Syracuse that you then went right into playing with the Goldman Band, or was there some time in between? Well, no, I uh, I went back to New York, and uh, this time went by, and uh, I uh, I expected to be in the Goldman Band because I knew all the fellows in it. I played with them in other bands uh-huh. and uh, I got a chance to audition and Richard Goldman, uh, Richard Franco Goldman accepted me. And uh, I started playing in the band in 1965. Wow. What, what was that audition process like auditioning for the Goldman band? <laughs> well, I auditioned in front of Richard at his home in uh, in New York, and uh, he had me play some solos, and uh, I he accepted me in the Golden Band in in 1965. Wow, it sounds like a very similar audition process to uh, sometimes uh, in the older days of the Marine Band. I was reading a book; um, it's called Guaranteed Notes, and it's uh, by three brothers, the Erdman brothers. All three of them were in the Marine Band. And the, the two older brothers detailed a very similar audition process where they went down and auditioned for the director, played a few solos, and it was a kind of a yes or no, just based off the solos. <laughs> and uh, 
Jimmy Burke, who did the solos in the Goldman Band, had uh, uh, an illness that he wasn't able to stand up and play the solos some more. Uh, and I did get an opportunity in 1971 to guest conduct. And also, it was uh, an opportunity for me to play a group of solos. And uh, in uh, this was all at Lincoln Center. At hmm. uh, the band show. Do you remember what you played? Uh, my very first solo with the Goldman Band. I'll never forget. I did two movements of the Haydn trumpet concerto from memory. Wow. <laughs> and there you go. Very good. <laughs> and I'll remember the buzz. <laughs> and I got through it. And uh, it was straight ahead. I did a a group of six or seven more solos that year. And uh, I continued to play the solos uh, for the next several years. Wow. So they played at Lincoln Center. What Were most of their engagements in New York City or did they go on tour as well? Well, not on tour, but we played it outside dates occasionally, rarely. But gotcha. uh, when I started with the band, we also played in Central Park and Prospect Park. And uh, Central Park got to be too dangerous for for the band, so <laughs> it ended up being strictly at Numberg uh, or the band show uh, outside of the, at Lincoln Center. And uh, it was six concerts a week, and it was a summer job, uh, was eight weeks. And uh, six concerts uh, a week hmm. uh, with one and a half days of rehearsals. And then was it while you were in the the Goldman Band that you yeah. then started getting your doctorate? Uh, well, uh, I started a little before the Goldman Band. And I was able to secure from Richard and his sister all of the press books. So I had primary sources, which were very unique. And uh, I, uh, I worked on the doctorate while in the Goldman Band. And uh, I got the doctorate, a PhD from NYU mm -hmm. in 1971. Gotcha, gotcha. Very cool. So um, I know a lot of listeners to the podcast are very familiar with the Ken Burns documentary, the uh, the Civil War, and are thus very familiar with you, even though they may not know it. You are uh, the founder of the Old Beth Page Village Brass Band. Am I correct? No, you're incorrect. I am incorrect. I was <laughs> uh, Old Beth Page Village had a brass band, mm -hmm. but it was more like a parade band, a farmer's band, you know, parade band. Uh, uh, I professionalized it when I took it over in 1977. Uh, and I, uh, I secured professional musicians who were paid for their services uh, at the village. And also, as I said, the previous band leader sought out parades. I sought out concerts and mm libraries and concert situations because uh, it was not a full-time job 
Mm-hmm. At Old Bethpage, we had maybe uh, 10 full-time band, which uh, was 11-piece band, mm-hmm. and a sextet uh, to stretch the money. And when I performed several uh, concerts at libraries and uh, wherever I could, uh, it, uh, you know, uh, I played the same music, but uh, I had to be careful with the sextet because I gave a historic performance and lecture, uh, sort of trying to keep it detailed, mm-hmm. you know, the purpose of the band and the music and uh, uh, the times of the yeah. uh, the brass band. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Jolly, would you mind... Uh, telling us a little bit more about old Bethpage village restoration. And I understand now it's kind of like a historical village. It's been restored and, and people can go visit some of the, the houses and experience the living history there. It's a very nice place. Uh, and uh, they have established certain weekends uh, for the long Island fair. And uh, to me, the brass band is a very important a feature because they don't always stay with the historic it's a historic farming community and uh, they lately the brass band has maintained its uh, historic uh, presence and uh, and I introduce each selection and uh, uh, try to place it historically in perspective to the village. Yeah. I, I think from what I remember about the the village itself, I think wasn't the land where the village stands now originally just a farm and then Nassau County lifted and brought houses to that land to create a village. Like the village wasn't there as it stands now previously. Is that right? No, they created a village and uh, various houses and a school and a church and a community center or an inn. And uh, uh, it's quite an attraction. And they try to maintain uh, historical uh, accuracy where they can. But uh, uh, I believe the band illustrates that historic nature of the village better than it's getting away from the village, but uh, they will let it divert. (laughs) But the band is historic band and, and uh, we don't play modern music. We play authentic music from the period on period instruments. And uh, we try to do it in the style uh, of the mid nineteenth uh, century, the eighteen fifties and sixties, seventies. So when you took over uh, the band at Old Beth Page, uh, was that an arrangement that you had with the the village? Like, did they approach you and ask you to create a Civil War brass band for concerts, or did you approach them? How how did that work? No, a committee was formed to improve the quality of the band and they came to me 
because they ask around. And I was playing in all the groups in the Long Island area. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was approached to professionalize the band. And that's I took it over and I did not start it. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) these musicians uh, and they're still playing. But without me, I've retired now a couple of years ago. But I professionalized it. And these are some of the finest players on Long Island. Now, did you have experience with Civil War brass band music prior to creating this group? No, I had no experience with the Civil War. But this sort of turned me on to it. So I started doing research on the music and the the various bands throughout the, the country. And uh, I sought out arrangements that would fulfill the uh, the quality of the brass band. I mm-hmm. mean, I didn't turn away from music because it was hard, but <laughs> the previous band was playing all simple marches. And uh, these were uh, the most intricate music I could find. And uh, we uh, we did it well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know uh, the band that Stephen and I play in, one of our things that we like to tell the audience is that the music that they're hearing, the instruments that played it had only existed for a few short decades before this music was being played on them. And the music is pretty darn hard. So we find it very interesting that the the difficulty and the engaging quality of the music was being played on relatively new technology at the time. Well, uh, the difficulty of the music, uh, I challenged uh, the band and I played first E flat lead uh, lead and uh, the instrumentation was two E flat cornets two B flat cornets two alto horns two baritone horns a tuba and a bass drum and a snare drum 11 pieces and uh, at the village we didn't always play with the 11 pieces sometimes as I said due to the finances we would uh, use a sextet and uh, have one E-flat cornet, one B-flat, one alto, one baritone, a tuba, and one drum. Hmm. And uh, we used to play at libraries when they couldn't come up with our fee for 11 pieces, which uh, I prefer to play because Hmm. of the fullness of the sound. Uh, But in order to spread... (laughs) <laughs> the uh, Civil War brass band music, mm-hmm. uh, I would play with the sextet. <laughs> yeah, so I, a lot of the, the listeners I know, Stephen, know that my experience or the reason why, you know, this podcast exists and why I'm involved in Civil War era music is because I heard my dad growing up performing in the Old Beth Page brass band, attending the Long Island Fair, hearing you guys play on weekends and stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's been incredibly uh, impactful on on my music upbringing. And we model our own brass band, the 8th GM Regiment Band in Fairfax, uh, largely on what I remember the Old Beth Page Brass Band doing. We have the, the small sextet that goes out for a lot of most of our engagements, but a lot of times when the finances call for <laughs> fewer players. And uh, yeah, we go all the way up to 10, 11, 12 I think the most we can do is 14, I think, at the moment. Did you ever play in the old Beth Page brass band? 
<laughs> so my first ever paid gig was at uh, the Longwood Fair with uh, the old Beth Page brass band. I was playing the bass drum. <laughs> so, so that was my first my first experience getting paid to play and uh, my first time getting to play in the, the brass band as well. <laughs> uh, it was exciting for me to be involved. And I started doing all kinds of research on early bands and uh, contacting various people like Paul Mayberry, Mayberry, who was the guru of Civil War brass band music. He had a catalog and Mark Elrod, Elrod uh, provided me with a lot of music mm-hmm. and advice. And, uh, uh, and I contacted, you know, various brass band leaders and found out what they were playing mm-hmm. and uh, developed a, a very good library, which still is that I turned it over to old Beth page and uh, uh, it ended up being very sizable. And it started out, with just very small and they would prefer the the simple marches. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Jolly, you mentioned a little bit about the instrumentation of the band and, and you mentioned that you play or the band plays on period instruments. How did the band um, acquire those instruments? Are they personal instruments? Did the village acquire them somehow or where, where where did all those horns come from? The village had a group of instruments, but uh, a lot of the players who I brought into the band had a uh, a period instrument, and I had a collection of 21 brass instruments, and I would bring the extra horns in case one of them went bad, but uh, we did play strictly on period instruments. And uh, uh, we did not play strictly on period mouthpieces. I used a box 3C mouthpiece, and it it worked. Uh, And for those hard uh, first E-flat parts, uh, it uh, it was a challenge. And uh, so the village had uh, had a group of instruments, but uh, they were not sufficiently uh, quality instruments. Did you ever try to play a Civil War gig on one of those flat-rimmed, sharp, uh, cookie-cutter mouthpieces, or not even bother? I didn't even bother. I tried them. (laughs) and I mean, in order to be a good first E-flat lead player, uh, I had to use a current mouthpiece, a Bach. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did perform at the New York Brass Conference. And one of my favorite remembrances is Vacchiano and Voizan in the audience. And they came over and looked at my rotary bell front E flat, and uh, they had high praise for <laughs> the band. Wow. And it was uh, unique. I, I somehow I I should have remember to take a picture with <laughs> Vakiana, who I studied with, yeah. and Roger Boyzan. And uh, th- both of them had experiences with the Civil War brass band music. Oh, yeah. And uh, they were thrilled to be in the audience, and I was thrilled to see them there. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's really special. 
You you mentioned Paul Mayberry earlier. Um, did you start playing in the the Yankee brass band after you got involved with Old Beth Page? Yes, uh, uh, the Yankee brass band had started, and uh, I was approached by Mark Elrod, who was a regular uh, with Paul Paul Mayberry conducting the brass band. So in 1988, I started to make the annual trip up to uh, New England and mm-hmm. for this one week, a solid, uh, you know, two and a half days of rehearsals and six concerts. Mm-hmm. And I uh, I didn't do solos that first year. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, soon afterwards, maybe the second or third year, I was the first chair play player and I always did a solo one of the uh, uh, tricky ones for E-flat cornet yeah the I, saxa I, yeah like the uh, Yankee doodle variations that those type of things yes uh, Yankee doodle variations yeah very cool and then uh, you mentioned also about acquiring all the different music from all your different sources for the for the old Beth Page brass band when the band would play in the village, were you guys reading off of scans of the original handwritten parts, or were you guys reading uh, new engraved, newly arranged versions of those period pieces? Like, how? What did you guys actually read off of? Uh, music stands, and Paul Mary Mayberry had uh, restructured them in the style of the Civil War brass band, so. Mm-hmm. It would be authentic. Uh, And uh, although uh, some of the books uh, that we actually, Peter's Sykeshorn Journal and uh, Eaton's 12 Pieces of Harmony, uh, we played from the books. Uh, But I do have some original music, uh, the Port Royal Band books Mm -hmm. and uh, the Manchester Cornet Band music. with the Yankee Brass Band, we played quite often in Manchester, New Hampshire, and I would visit the Manchester Historical Society and where they had copies of the Manchester Cornet Band Library, which you would be able to secure and copy and pay them to uh, have actually Manchester Cornet Band music. So I know when we've tried to read off of original handwritten parts, that music can, you know, not only are the notes difficult themselves, but then there's another layer of difficulty just trying to decipher some of the chicken scratch <laughs> that's on the page sometimes. Yeah. Did, did you guys kind of struggle with that sometimes also with the old Beth page? No, we got used to it. And uh, with the repeated uh, performance, uh, it got to be uh, sort of easy for us. Uh, and, and it's never easy on the first E flat because it's uh, some of the things are very high and treacherous and technical. And uh, as the leader, I felt obligated to <laughs> to uh, do it well. For sure. Definitely. In terms of uniforms, what did you prefer the players and the old Beth Page brass band to be wearing? Well, we had inherited uh, Civil War 
military uniforms Mm -hmm. and we wore them. And then a couple years later, we had a bright red with white striping on it. And uh, we sort of outgrew them. (laughs) The band was full of big guys. And uh, (laughs) in the heat of the summer, we had a military shirt we would wear uh, and uh, with a kepi hat. And we always, in, in order to to look well, we use white gloves and uh, wear appropriately. And the red and white uniforms were very striking. And uh, uh, as I said, we, the guys did had to, be a little smaller in order to make uh-huh. use of them. Were those red uniforms meant to uh, represent like the Marine band or anything or wh- why red? Uniforms? No, just a military flashy uniform with the white Shaco hats with the plume on it and the white gloves. It's on the, the, uh, the picture of the cover of the, 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 on uh, the recording, uh, it's it's striking, you know, to see the red and right, but uh, but more typically, uh, we played in the uh, the blue frock coats and the kepi hat and and the, and the black belt. Yeah, very very standard, very clean looking, very appropriate. Yes, and it got to be uh, a cleaning process, so they had to be cleaned every year. And mm-hmm. the band is still playing. <clears throat> a lot of the same guys, uh, but without me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I always felt that they didn't use the band to its fullest. Uh, and right now, I think the main purpose of the band as the school groups come to visit the village, the band lines up and marches in, uh, marches them in mm-hmm. and uh, it gets the feeling of a parade. Yeah. Yeah. I remember following the uh, brass band from the, the visitor center from the, the main building where the parking is and following the band as they marched down the dirt roads past the, uh, the 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 old baseball field where they were playing baseball with the old time rules, and you would uh, yeah. you would march to I think the tavern right and play concerts under the tree behind the tavern. Yes, that the, the big shade tree, and that was our favorite spot. We would alternate with the other historic instruments. We would do a half hour set, and then the the, the historic instruments, uh, you know, uh, fiddle and. Uh, xylophone or the zither mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, would play the dancing and uh, and then we would probably play together one tune for a grand march and then continue uh as a solo uh with the band uh, and give the uh, uh the dancers a rest and this was for the uh the school the schools that were visiting the village like private no, events private uh, oh. That was a regular uh, routine, and the schools uh, sort of went to the various houses and saw how they cooked and visited the church and the cemetery, and uh, it 
had a schedule. We were contracted, and as I understand, Ed Albinsky, who handles it now for me, has a three-year contract. <laughs> and he says there's a few more dates on it. It wasn't a regular thing where the band would be playing every weekend mm -hmm. for certain events and Long Island Fair and uh, and other uh, musical events, uh, specialty uh, dates of importance in the Civil War mm -hmm. where the band would be uh, most useful. Yeah, yeah. So do you consider the band uh, to be kind of under that umbrella of Civil War reenactors or is the mission of the band more to kind of preserve and educate about the um, the brass music um, of the time, you know, separately than the war, or do they mix, or kind of what is the the mission and the goal of of the of the band? Uh, well, I feel the mission of the band is to preserve and maintain the uh, accurate with accurately the early history of the band and how we got to where we are today with right. this. Uh, and it's, so it's, it's reenacting, but it's really, I thought we were a brass band from the civil war. It wasn't a reenactment. It was an actment, <laughs> uh, an action. <laughs> right. And do you think that, uh, the Old Beth Page Brass Band is one of the few ensembles with this mission, or do you think that uh, that there's a number of bands throughout the country, uh, or maybe not enough bands throughout the country doing this type of thing? What, where do you think Old Beth Page sits in well, relation to other people doing the same thing? It's a unique position to be contracted, um, but there are a lot of bands, community bands. Like during the Civil War, mm -hmm. I mean, every town had a band, mm -hmm. and uh, sometimes the band uh, marched out with the troops during yeah. the Civil War. Yeah. But there's still a lot of brass bands, but it takes uh, a lot to maintain uh, the presence, and uh, it's not... Uh, you have to sell it and it's a very and, expensive it's a very expensive mission to want to be carrying out so you need a yeah, you need to you need this, to do it well <laughs> yes uh thank goodness the county payroll contract they set it up so the, the beth page is a county operation and and one of the things I think they are paying tribute to have the band there, but they're slipping away from that. And uh, the band helps to maintain the, the uh, historic atmosphere and uh, just the sound of the band, you know, in the village and uh, uh, Sometimes they have historic events and uh, like uh, <clears throat> Teddy Roosevelt will give a speech and, uh, but yet they have the Long Island Fair where uh, they sometimes forget the nature of the 
historic presence of the village and uh, uh, just to draw the people out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember I just read a, a quote in one of the books that I've been reading about the power of the brass band during the time of the Civil War. And the the person mentioned that hearing the sound of a brass band for the soldiers was better than rations and medicine. That it, that it was so uplifting and took care of them so well that that it was better than than rations or medicine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, the brass bands served a purpose, and uh, sometimes they uh, would alternate over the uh, battle. Uh, one band would play from the north, and the bands in the south would play. And uh, sometimes they uh, would play together. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then you you were implying with the band being contracted by the county and its current status at Old Beth Page, um, back in its heyday, how many times a year do you think the Old Beth Page Village Brass Band was going out and giving public performances? Well, uh, not as much as at the village we had a schedule. Mm-hmm. But at, I... Uh, turned to promotion and I wrote to every library and groups that were uh, putting on art shows and concerts in the parks and uh, I would say at most uh, the outside performance would be maybe 10 a year Mm -hmm. but we didn't have to rehearse because we had a program Mm -hmm. that uh, uh uh, again, bringing history to the people in in this concert, mm-hmm. uh, whether it would be inside or outside in the park. And uh, uh, so this purpose of the band, uh, it, it's a forgotten thing. Mm-hmm. And we tried to preserve it. Yeah. And, and then, something that um, really has reached a very wide audience that the band has been involved in was um, Ken Burns' Civil War documentary. How how did that all kind of come together? How did the band get involved with that project? Well, see, I don't really know how I got involved uh, in so many things, but my reputation, uh, uh, I'm sure they asked around and... Uh, I was approached and uh, we did a a record date and uh, we recorded many other things and they weren't always used in the the Ashokan Farewell, which is not a Civil War song. Mm -hmm. Uh, We recorded and it wasn't used. I think it would be kind of bright, but the the, uh, theme music on the fiddle and the piano was uh, poignant and uh, and uh, but uh, but I see I really don't know and we had a record date and we did 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 it uh, and I was happy to see uh, we didn't know what it was for. <laughs> oh wow! Was that a recording session in New York City or where did you guys have to go yes. to record that? Yeah, New York. In New York City. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And then you were telling me the other day when we spoke on the phone that uh, the brass band, in addition to its, uh, you know, uh, recognition on that soundtrack, that you guys also recorded two other albums. Yes, at the village, uh, 
one album, a 12 inch we had reproduced as a CD mm-hmm. and another uh, CD uh, just to preserve and maintain and something to pass out and, uh, and uh, possibly make a little money. And we made very little money from it, but it, it's a, a, a good representation of what uh, we perform at the village. And uh, uh, we didn't uh, take full advantage of, uh, I mean, the band, we spent a week, uh, we brought, brought to Ireland and we performed in the St. Patrick's parade in Dublin in 1992. And we were playing for the Lloyd Mayer's ball at, uh, in the evening. And they came over to me with a big statue, uh, an award as a first place best brass band, small, wow. <laughs> uh, best small brass band in uh-huh. the parade. And I ended up carrying it through Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really cool. Wow. Do you? Yeah. Oh. I'm looking at it right now. It's on my piano, uh, <laughs> at the top of my piano. And uh, we did do a thing in Canada for Upper Canada Village, which was a, a, a working community for Victoria Day. And uh, we did parade around uh, the village and uh, it was just a, a single happening where we were hired to uh, uh, emphasize the cooperation of the brass bands with Canada. Mm-hmm. And then kind of continuing to go off of this idea of other uh, notable performances that you guys got to do, um, I remember when I reached out and met BJ Pino for the first time from the Wildcat Regiment Band and mentioned that I, you know, grew up listening to the old Beth Page brass band and my dad played tuba there. He mentioned that you guys had gone to home Pennsylvania, I think, with a small group and played there with, uh, was that with the Wildcat no, Regiment? No, we played with the full 11-piece band. And, oh, okay. uh, it was like a band festival. His band played and we alternated uh, with them. And we did a parade through the village and to the university. And uh, mm-hmm. that was, uh, uh, I thought, a very important thing uh, that I would like to see reproduced in other communities. But uh, BJ was very, uh, he has a wonderful band and he really, uh, tries to maintain the Civil War feeling as far as uniforms and music and mm-hmm. and uh, it's 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 uh, it's a regular thing with him. It's not really a job, but mm-hmm. see, I took it on, and my musicians are professionals; they are paid. Mm-hmm. This is one of the problems to come up with enough money to do uh, a lot of concerts. Yeah. And thank goodness the county, I understand they're doing more concerts this year, but uh, it still leaves far uh, few to uh, be uh, performed. And uh, it, it, it should be spread more widely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. 
something that uh, the last uh, BJ Pino is a very good friend of the band that Steven and I play in here in Fairfax. And the last time I went up to see him in Pennsylvania, we had a, a pretty lengthy conversation about uh, the environment in which Civil War brass bands are playing uh, for their audiences. And he was mentioning how he noticed over time how uh, either interest was slowly going down or people were becoming more confrontational with certain music that was being played. I was curious with your experience playing in a brass band on Long Island, so very much in Northern Territory, if you ever experienced any pushback from anybody in a concert or uh, any any type of, uh, you know interest either increasing or decreasing over your time working with the old Beth page brass band. No, it was difficult because the people, uh, uh, were used to different kind of music and, uh, to be hit in the face with it. Uh, it wasn't, uh, especially liked and it was our, uh, mission to perform it so that uh, it would be more appealing to them. And uh, uh, the sound was uh, unique and uh, not what what would be expected. And mm -hmm. even if we played it on modern instruments, the music would not uh, travel well. Mm -hmm. uh, it, playing on the old instruments and uh, and we tried to force it on them <laughs> and yeah, yeah. uh the, and they 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 go uh, across the street to the uh, other music <laughs> yeah i'm wondering if it's just because we're well i know other bands are experiencing it also but us being in northern virginia uh where uh sentiment of the civil war could go either way at times uh, some of our performances we've been challenged on already. We've had people confront us about the music that we're playing or what we're representing. So that's interesting that that's happening here in Virginia, but you, you're saying you didn't really experience any of that type of pushback up on Long Island. No, I don't take any pushback. <laughs> I, I'm determined to, to play the best I can and present a quality story uh, line about the music and about the times and the purpose of the band. And uh, uh, I sort of present it as I know it to be and hope that the, the, the people will enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And did you ever uh, notice that your time at the village audiences were becoming more engaged with it in a positive way or was attendance maybe slowly decreasing the longer, uh, the further away from the centennial maybe that we got or any experience with that? Well, the bigger the crowd, the more uh, they enjoyed the band mm. and they sort of got with it. And uh, um, it was... Uh, the start of the band uh, program, the uh, it would attract more and more people. Uh, 
but you need a crowd. And uh, it was just another activity at the vil- village. And uh, it was just uh, something to sit around and enjoy uh, the atmosphere and the quality. And the band would take them back to Civil War times. Mm-hmm. And you guys did it so well. Like I said, I I guess even me just personally having been exp- uh you know, brought up listening to you and the old Beth Page Brass Band is what's got the band at George Mason University existing and this podcast existing. But uh, your influence in in the field is is rather significant. So, uh, yeah, things were done very well under your leadership at the uh, at the old Beth Page Village. As I said. Uh... I did not start the band. It was given to me yep. to professionalize, and I feel I did it very well. Uh, it became a good band and an accurate band in tune, playing not the easiest music, but we tackled the hard music, and uh, uh, and th- that's way the way to maintain the band's interest in playing in this music. Uh, we did it and we struggled with it at first and little by little we got so that we were good at it. Mm-hmm. And get good at it. You guys did. <laughs> Great. Um, so that about wraps up everything that I had. Is there anything, uh, maybe that you have on the front of your mind that we didn't necessarily address directly that you wanted to mention about either your experience with civil war music or old Beth page in particular or anything like that. Uh, well, I have met a lot of people, uh, through the brass band music, mm-hmm. uh, especially Paul Mayberry. He has, uh, been a guru of, uh, of old brass music and he will take uh, uh, sheet music and create a a civil war arrangement. And uh, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to play in the, the Yankee brass band, he would come up with new things every year. And, uh, and, uh, and I visited Rod, uh, uh, L. Mark Elrod mm-hmm. at his home in the, in the Washington area, and he he provided me with boxes of music. He said, "You don't have this. Well, you got to have this and this." And the job I had was trying to promote the band performances and also develop the, the band quality wise and and uh, uh, repertoire. Mm-hmm. Uh, wise and uh, it was a chore but it was uh, I just did it <laughs> and uh, it uh, I uh, I don't know how I uh, survived but uh, I enjoyed the, the, the music and I enjoyed the challenge and I was very happy to be a part of the, the old Bethpage Brass Band and we're thankful for for you having taken over that band for sure. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jolly, for, for speaking with Stephen and I today. Uh, I, I keep on saying I can't thank you enough for coming out and for your expertise in, in brass bands is largely why even this podcast exists. So thank you. <laughs> I appreciate being a party to uh, helping understand the brass band movement. And uh, I, I find it difficult with the cell phone to my ear <laughs> and uh, it, uh, it's not the same as being in front of an audience. Mm -hmm. For sure. Right. Well, I think we all look forward to getting back to being able to do those in-person uh, interviews and, and concerts. For sure. Yeah, so we're all, we're all stuck inside at the moment with the, the health crisis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Currently, I'm staying at home. Yeah, yeah, as we all are. <laughs> right. All righty, Dr. Jolly. Good luck with your project. Good luck. Okay, you and Stephen. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Take care. Bye now. Really, really great. Thank you again to Dr. Kirby Jolly for taking the time to speak with Stephen and I. Uh, really incredible to have uh, Dr. Kirby Jolly ex uh, talk about his experience with the Old Beth Page Brass Band. It was really interesting hearing one of the, the earlier pioneers of this genre uh, talk about his experience with the band and just his thoughts on uh, Civil War brass bands in the era. The thing that, that really struck me was when he was saying that they didn't consider themselves to be uh, reenactors, they he said we were a Civil War brass band. They were acting. They were what was he saying? We he was enacting, right? Not yeah. reenacting. He was enacting. Right. <laughs> yeah, so really so, cool. Yeah, it's always great to get uh, perspective from someone who's been involved uh, in this research and, and in this performance practice for so long. So that was really special to get to talk to him. If you have any questions for us regarding this episode, or if you want us to forward any questions to Dr. Kirby Jolly, you could email us at our email address, eabb.podcast at gmail.com, uh, or you can uh, follow us on Facebook or Instagram and uh, send us a message through that way as well. And it would be great if you feel so inclined to leave a rating and a review of the show on Apple Podcasts. That really helps boost uh, our show in search results and we'd appreciate uh, hearing from you over there on Apple Podcasts as well. Our featured album for episode number four is going to be titled The Yankee Brass Band. Now this isn't the Yankee Brass Band that Dr. Kirby Jolly was mentioning in this album. This is the title of the album from uh, 1981 by the American Brass Quintet Brass Band. It's similar to last episode's featured album with the Empire Brass Quintet, uh, how they were primarily five brass musicians, but then they brought in uh, friends to supplement the quintet to play a full brass band. The American Brass Quintet did a similar thing with this album and actually two other albums. Um, this album released in 1981, playing uh, primarily music famous in the North at the time, and then it was re-released in, Stephen, was it 1992? Yeah, it was re-released uh, in June, oh, I'm sorry, July of 1992 on CD. Great, so that is our featured album, 
uh, for this episode, feel free to go on our website, eabbpodcast.com, and look in the show notes for episode number four and read up on the American Brass Quintet Brass Band's album, The Yankee Brass Band. We thank you guys so much for listening to episode number four, and we look forward to speaking with you alongside you next time. Thank you. Talk to you, man. Thank you.